there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, I want to begin this morning not talking about the Bible. I want to begin by talking about uh, one of America's most notorious crime bosses. Um, he ruled in the 70s, 80s, and I think beginning of the 90s. Um, his name was John Gotti. Uh, how many of you remember the name John Gotti? Okay, John Gotti was a ruthless man. Uh, he, be, he became uh, the boss of the Gambino crime family uh, in New York in the 80s. Uh, he did all kinds of evil, evil things, as you can imagine a mob boss would, would do. He became the most powerful mob boss in New York City. So I want you to imagine, if you would, that Jesus didn't come to Palestine, didn't come to, to Israel 2,000 years ago, but rather waited to like the 80s. Uh, to, to come. And instead of going to Jerusalem, he goes to New York City. And while at New York City, one of the first things that he does there is he decides to invite himself to John Gotti's house for dinner. Now, you can imagine uh, Facebook and Twitter and the National Enquirer and the news. It would just be the world's biggest scandal uh, for Jesus, the Savior of mankind, to, to, to hang out with John Gotti, the most notorious crime boss in, in history. Well, this is what we're stepping into this morning, because we're going to look at an encounter in the Bible between Jesus and a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and on our side of history, we don't understand how despised, how evil, how hated tax collectors uh, were. So when you think of Zacchaeus, as we walk through this story together, uh, what I want you to do is get the picture of the nerd in the white shirt with glasses and a pocket protector that's coming to comb over your receipts to audit you, right? Because you filled out the wrong form. It's kind of like a pesky little IRS agent. I want you to stop thinking like that and I want you to start thinking like a crime boss, someone like John Gotti. You see, Zacchaeus was involved in the same things John Gotti was involved in, stealing from people, cheating people, embezzling, extortion, money laundering, racketeering, strong-arming people, assaulting people if they didn't come up with, with enough tax money, um, sexual sins and sexual crimes, tax collectors in ancient Israel were the most despised people, and rightly so. Real quick, just a little brief history. Uh, we've talked about this before, but the, the Jews were under Roman occupation, which meant Rome told them what to do, where to go, how to act. They, they ruled over them. Okay, now Rome had a massive, massive empire. And in order to police that entire empire, you had to tax the mess out of people so that you could pay for the army to, to police everywhere. Okay, so what they did, and then this is the case of Zacchaeus, is they found Jewish men and had them plead the, or, or pledge their allegiance to Rome and not to Israel. 
All right. And then they equipped and empowered these men with soldiers and, and whatnot. And these men were responsible for taking taxes from their own people, taking that money, handing it to the Roman army to fund the army to oppress the very people that, that, that they lived around. Okay? And on top of that, tax collectors were notorious for kind of skimming off the top, kind of cooking the books, and tax collectors were uber wealthy uh, in this culture. So uh, one commentator said that tax collectors were considered by the Jews the worst human beings to ever walk the face of the earth. And so if you were religious... In biblical times, if you were a Pharisee or a Sadducee or, or a scribe or a priest or a Levite or a rabbi, you didn't even look at tax collectors in the eye. You ignored them. You wouldn't even give them eye contact. You didn't talk to them. You didn't hang out with them. And you certainly didn't break bread with them. But we're going to find Jesus does all of these things because Jesus wasn't just a religious man. He was the son of God. And at the very core of his heart, we don't find contempt for this tax collector named Zacchaeus. We find compassion. And because of that compassion, we're going to see a huge transformation in the life of Zacchaeus. You see, Zacchaeus was someone, but after his encounter with Jesus, he became someone else. And friends, isn't that the message of the gospel we were someone, we were broken, we were lost, we, we were in trouble. Then because of the compassion of Jesus, he changed us and we became a new creature. We became someone else. And so the story of Zacchaeus is a story that we should all be fascinated with because it's a story of transformation. And so there are four ways that Zacchaeus kind of, that Jesus transformed Zacchaeus, and we'll, we'll hit those as we go through the text. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 today. Jesus finds himself in the city of Jericho. Jericho was this like kind of vacation resort. It was an uber wealthy city, a lot going on. And that's where Zacchaeus, that was his region, okay? So we'll, we'll, we'll jump in Luke 19. And before we jump in, the first transition point I want you to see in the life of Zacchaeus is this. A man became a child. A man became a child. Let's go to Luke 19, pick up in verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a, what's the next word? He was a chief tax collector. Let me pause right there. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a high level tax. He was a chief tax collector, which meant he had several slaves, several uh, people to go physically collect the taxes for him. He had work. He was on top. He had people under him. He was running a syndicate. He was like a mob boss, much like John Gotti, the chief tax collector. And he was rich. Now, he didn't earn that money. He became rich because he stole it. Verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on the account of the crowd, he could not see because he was small in stature. So, you know, I don't have this problem. I'm, I, I usually block the crowd when I'm up front. But, you know, he couldn't see over because he was a small little guy. We don't know if he had... You know, if he was a little person or he was just short for that day. But I do remember uh, going to my grandparents' church to visit and going to junior church. And we would sing that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. 
A little man, well, yeah, okay, so you know, some of you know it. So he was a short guy, so he couldn't see. So he ran ahead of the crowd and climbed up into a sycamore tree so he could get a better viewpoint to see him, for Jesus was about to pass by. So, so a man became a child. Uh, one of the things that, that you'll find if you study Jewish culture uh, then and even today is grown men don't run. It's insulting. They, they don't run. Uh, so the first thing that he does is, is he runs. He's a very important man. He's probably well-dressed. I would equate it to going to like Arbor Place Mall and seeing this guy in a, you know, a middle-aged man in a nice Armani suit. You know he's wealthy. And he's just running from store to store. He just runs like a, like a kid. Um, so he's acting childlike by, by, by running. And men normally don't climb trees that often unless you're with your children or something. So he's running, he's climbing trees just like a kid because he couldn't help himself. He had to see what all the commotion was about. He had to see who this Jesus was. John Calvin wrote these words, quote, curiosity and simplicity are a sort of preparation for faith, end of quote. And I think he's right, because in order to, for us to receive Jesus, we are told by Jesus that we must possess a childlike faith. If we don't have a childlike faith, we won't enter the kingdom of God. Look at the words of Jesus in Mark 10, 15. He says, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, what's interesting is in the Greek, the word for child that Jesus uses here refers to the youngest and the most helpless child in your household. So essentially, Christ is calling us to utter dependence on him and into his kingdom. And so think about it. We take great joy in our children the arrival of a, of a new baby is probably one of the pinnacles of our lives. It's a, it's a very happy time. But the youngest child, when you bring them into the house, they can't do anything for themselves, can they? They do three things. Go to the bathroom, cry, and sleep. That, that's all they do. They can't make any tangible contribution to the, to the functioning household. In fact, they're desperately needy, right? And that's how we are to enter into relationship with our Father in heaven. We rely on him completely, on his mercy for our salvation and for our every need. And only by admitting this can we be part of the kingdom of God. You see, receiving the kingdom of God like a child is to, is to possess this innocent, childlike faith. Like, this is my heavenly father, and I love him, and, and, I, and I believe him. I, I receive him uh, like a child. I, I trust him wholeheartedly, completely uh, with my life. Children are very good at expressing sincere faith in God. So, so what I want to do is I want to show you about a two-minute video. Uh, I'm going to walk off stage, but uh, I'll, I'll come back out, I think. So uh, take a look at this video. Oh, he looks kind and, and he wears a robe. He has a beard and he has a mustache. He looks like dressed up in white. He's very bright. And he has 
long, blackish brown hair. It is curly and he has blue eyes. He knows each one of us one by one and loves us all. He likes us. He is Heavenly Father's son. Jesus is our brother. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He is our savior. He sacrificed a lot. Like he was, he got nails in his arms and died for all of us. And he he toned for us. And he healed our alleys. He let me repent. He is um, someone we can all look to for if we need an example of how to be. He tells us to care about other people. He'd like warn people about stuff like and make sure they're all safe because he cares about each one of us. You know, when I pray, I feel comforted by him. It feels like he's giving me a hug. He heals people. He makes it so the blind can see and the people that can't walk, they can walk. So he makes it so they can walk and that's pretty much all I know. He wants us to follow the commandments. Always pray and read our scriptures. Be like him and help others. Show respect of how he made our world and obey his commandments. I want to help other people and I want to live with Heavenly Father again. And I love him very much. That's a childlike faith. I think if we come to Jesus without a childlike faith, with our adult reasoning, we say, well, I just want a little bit of Jesus for this and for that, sprinkle a little magic here, um, fix this and fix that. But I don't, I don't really want the whole thing to where a child is just like, yes, I, I trust. Just give me the Lord. And that's the kind of faith we need. And so Zacchaeus, the first transition point is he's running and he's climbing trees, a man became a child. The second transformation we see is that a seeking man became found. Look at verse 3 again. And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on the account of the crowd, he couldn't see because he was small in stature. So he's climbing a tree. He is seeking after Jesus. He wants to see him. He wants to, to know what he's all about. He wants to, to find him, but he's so small, he can't see. So he wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. And, and by fate or by divine providence, probably, Jesus walks right under the tree. And look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I love what Warren Wearsby says about this passage. He says this, quote, Zacchaeus thought he was seeking Jesus, but Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus, end of quote. And that, that's so true. Listen, when we turn to seek Jesus, we don't have to look very far. He is right there. Repentance means that I'm walking this way and I'm going to turn around and walk back to God. When we turn around, Jesus is right there to walk with us uh, back to God. And that's why he encourages us in Matthew 6, He says these words, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. So you have this transformation of a man who becomes a child, 
of a seeking man who becomes found. And then number three, you have a poor man that became rich. Now, we'll put on the brakes right here because some of you are going to say, wait a minute, the text tells us that he was rich. Yeah, he was rich in the world's eyes, but he was bankrupt and broke spiritually in God's eyes. And we know that riches here on earth don't last. They don't mean anything. So he started a poor man, but he's going to receive the riches of the kingdom of God. Look at verses 7 through 10. And when they saw it, they are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the religious people. They all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Jesus is having dinner with a sinner. And, and you know, Jesus would say, yeah, that's what I came to do, to seek and save what is lost. I'm not going to seek and save anybody if I'm not around them. So, so they were dismayed because this was an evil tax collector. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. Now hold that because that capital L there, Zacchaeus is calling Jesus his master. All right? Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. So listen, I, you know, I'm an uber wealthy guy. I've got $10 billion, $5 billion I'm just giving away to the poor. All right? I'm just going to give it away. All right? And then look what he says next. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, and the answer he has, that's why he's rich, I will restore it fourfold. So four times the amount. He's just following uh, Levitical law in the Old Testament. But here's the money phrase of the entire passage. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You know, that phrase, salvation, has come to your house. I think a lot of us interpret that thinking that Jesus is salvation. So you could essentially not, you couldn't call it, you could call him Jesus, or you could just say, hey, salvation, because that's what he is. He's salvation. So a lot of writers say that what Jesus meant was that I am here in your house. I'm salvation. I am physically uh, in, in your dwelling. But with Jesus, things are always much deeper than that. And when Jesus, I believe, when Jesus says salvation has come to your house, he's referring to the heart of Zacchaeus. That salvation has come. I am going to take up resonance inside of you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you. And something that we often overlook in verse 9 is that Jesus calls Zacchaeus the son of Abraham. You see, his whole life as a tax collector, he was told, you're not a Jew. We hate you. You're not going to heaven. You're a dirty, despicable sinner. Go hang out with other sinners. We're not going to look at you. We're not going to talk to you. We're not going to hang out with you. You have no chance. But Jesus says, salvation has come to this house, and now you are a true son of Abraham. In other words, you are co-heirs to the riches of God. You are spiritually bankrupt, but now I'm about to make you rich. Salvation has come to this house. You see, Zacchaeus had a sin problem. He was rich on the outside, but inside he was desolate and poor. His sins, like our sins often do, had him locked down. Just had him locked down. So this, this past Friday night, I received uh, an, inter an interesting phone call from uh, my daughter, uh, Reagan, 
her and my son Jay had, were going to go to the South Paulding um, football game. And they picked up her, her boyfriend and his girlfriend, and they, you kind of went a little double date type thing. Uh, but the caveat was, look, after the football game, Reagan, can you take Jay uh, over to uh, his buddy's house, uh, Devin's house, and he's going to spend the night? And she said, yeah, sure. Uh, so I get a phone call, and uh, it's Reagan, and she said, Dad, I, uh, I had a tire that blew out. And she, she said, luckily, I was able to pull into to Taylor Farm Park, and uh, I need your help because I don't know how to change a tire. And I said, all right, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on my way. Uh, and I got in the car and I headed that way. Now, something that you probably need to know about me is I'm the last person on the face of the earth that you want touching your car. Like I have tried to change, I've tried to change tires probably 15 times in my life and it always ends badly. It always ends with a jack falling or something. I'm just terrible at it. I have no confidence at it. And so we, we've had a lot of flat tires and the net result is we have three vehicles. You know, you have to pull all that stuff out. And then our vehicles have the, like the, the long pole. You have to stick through the bumper and wind the tire down. And so all the parts got mixed up. And we, we didn't really have what we needed. And I'm sitting there going, what am I going to do? And Reagan said, well, why don't you call Mr. Josh? The Morris family, they, they go to church here because that's where Jay was going. And he lived like a mile away. Um, but it was like really late at night, 1130 and maybe 12, I don't know. And I said, why don't you call them? <laughs> so they called him. I think my son did and said, hey, he, Josh is on the way. So Josh got there. And the first thing we had to do was try to figure out how to disengage this tire because I didn't have the parts. So I had a few poles and he had a few poles and they didn't match up. And so we kind of jimmy rigged it and got it in there. And, and he had to like, like wind it and then come back over because it wasn't long enough and the bumper was away. It took us forever just to get the, the spare tire to disengage. So we got it off, and I'm like, all right, that's going to be a piece of cake now. Josh is here. He's got a jack. He's going to jack it up. We'll pull it off. And so we go to take the tire off, and I noticed something I've never noticed before on, um, our, on my daughter's car. It used to be our car because it's never been on there before. Uh, about two months ago, we put new tires on for her, and the, the, the place we went decided to put like a wheel lock on one of the lug nut lock on one of the tires, which you need a special tool to get it off. And so Josh says, man, we got a problem here. Like, you should have a wrench somewhere, like a, a, little, a little key somewhere. And I looked around. It wasn't in there. And I said, look, I, we never had this. And we put new tires on, and, and, and I don't know why it's there. And, and so long story short, Josh was like, look, this, we're not going to be able to move. So I had to call a tow, a tow truck. And I loaded all the kids up in my car, took them over to a friend's house, drove back, and it was like two and a half hours before the tow truck showed up. And I explained the situation. I said, I can't get the tire off because I don't have a key, and, and I'm a pastor, uh, so can you just take it to, my, to the church and put it in the very back of the parking lot and drop it off? And he did that, and uh, I went home. And so today, I'm going to have to go all over town trying to find a universal key to get that one little nut off so I can take the tire off and not kill myself and then go replace the tire and put it back on. So why do I tell you that story? Because the car wasn't going to go anywhere. It was locked down tight. Friends, this is exactly what sin does to us. It locks us down. We can't have any spiritual movement. Uh, we are just kind of stuck. 
and, the, and we try. We try to, to, like me trying to get that nut off. There's nothing that we can do with our own efforts. There's only one thing that can save us from our sins. There's only one key, and Jesus is that key. That's why Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man came to save and seek the lost. I'm going to unlock you from your sins so you can move forward in your life and not just be stuck all the time. And this is what he did for Zacchaeus. You see, Zacchaeus was poor, but now he's rich. Zacchaeus was an example of what Jesus was talking about in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 3, when Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit means those of us who realize one time in our life, I am bankrupt spiritually. I have tried religion. I've tried to follow the rules, and I've tried to do this, and I've tried to white-knuckle my way out, and I, I'm just lost. See, being poor in spirit is a blessing because it's when we're poor in spirit that we realize, I need help. And the only key, the only help is the blood of Jesus Christ that frees me from all unrighteousness. So you've got this transformation in Zacchaeus. He exercised childlike faith in a God that he didn't see. He seeked Jesus and Jesus found him. He was dirt poor and locked up in his sin, and he was freed from that. And all of us would say yes and amen, and that's the kind of transformation that I want in my life. But unfortunately, this is where most Christians stop, right here. I'm free. I can breathe. I'm not mired in my sins. I have my ticket to heaven, and now I can just do anything I want. But there's one more transition or transformation that is key in, in the life of Zacchaeus, and that's key in our lives. And that's simply this. The host became the guest. The host became the guest. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had somebody invite themselves over to your house for dinner? On a, like just, they just invited themselves? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, it can be unnerving, right? Hey, we're coming over for dinner. What y'all having? Uh, I don't know. Probably pizza because I don't, you know, you didn't tell us you were coming. They don't ask if they can come over. They just tell you they're coming over. So I was, I was thinking about that for a second, and, and it got me to thinking. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you a question just to answer to yourself. If a famous celebrity that was alive today were to invite themselves over to your house for dinner, unannounced, just, just self-imposed, invite your house, who would you want it to be? What celebrity would you say, oh, that's cool, come on in, you can come to my house anytime. You got that in your mind for a minute, just think about it. I'm going to give you my answer, but before I give you my answer, I have to give you just a tiny bit of history. Um, many of you don't know this, um, I, I used to be an addict, a wrestling addict. The WWF that turned into the WWE, the WCW, man, I spent like 20 years of my life wasting so much time just fascinated and fixated on wrestling. I don't watch it anymore. I'm just, just too busy. Um, but man, I absolutely love it, loved it. And there's no doubt 
who I wouldn't mind coming to my house unannounced anytime he wanted. It's a wrestler by the name of Nick Foley. Uh, those of you who know wrestling know that Nick Foley, man, he's got, uh, he was Cactus Jack back in the day, and then he was Mankind, then he was Dude Love. Um, he is, uh, a, a preacher saying this is, is weird, um, but he had the most violent matches, and I loved them, right? He would be thrown onto tables, all 15-foot cages, nothing seemed to hurt him. Uh, but then when you got to know the person, Nick Foley, like, a lot of wrestlers aren't very good guys. They cheat on their wives on the road, but he, was, he never went out with people. He was a family man. He was good to his family. He's been married to the same woman. Uh, he's a genius. Like, he is literally a genius. He, you know, he looks like a big burly wrestler, but he wrote a book and it hit the New York bestseller. He is just a fascinating guy, and I would love to have him just uninvited come because I could sit and talk to that man for hours. Fascinating human being. What about you? Got your, got your person? So there's a celebrity that's dining with Zacchaeus. <clears throat> His name was Jesus. And he was the most talked about man in Palestine. Now here's what's interesting. When you study all four Gospels, this is the only account of Jesus inviting himself to someone else's house. Now, he's been invited by them to houses for sinners and tax collectors and, and things, but he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. And I want you to notice the reaction of Zacchaeus. Man, if we could just live this, the church would explode universally. Verse 6, so he hurried down and received him joyfully. Joyfully. Man, if we could just live in that joy as Christians, how different would our churches be? He received him joyfully. Jesus invites himself to his house. And while Jesus is there, as Zacchaeus is talking to Jesus, he doesn't call him Jesus. You know what he calls him? Lord, Master. Like, you're in my house now, but I'm now the guest because you're the Master. This is, this is your house. Salvation is come. This is your house. You are, you are Lord. So Zacchaeus becomes a guest in his own house. Jesus was the master of his house and of his life. And so think about it. The same analogy is true with us. When we're saved, when salvation comes to our house, he becomes the master and we become the guest. But we struggle with this. This is the part of the transformation that most Christians struggle. We have a childlike faith. We seek Jesus. We want the riches of heaven. We want our ticket. But wait a minute. Somebody else is going to be the Lord of my life. I've got to do what he would do. I've got to, every word that comes out of my mouth has to be the words that he would say, the way I treat people, the way I do business, the way I interact. You mean I actually have to pick up my cross daily and follow him? I've got to count this cost. I've got to make these changes. No, sign me up for heaven, but I'm just going to live my own life. And friends, that's not the transformation that God desires for us. Jesus wants to be Lord of your house, of your heart, of your temple, where, where God dwells. This is illustrated in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, when Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, the door of your heart. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. You see, the story of Zacchaeus is this story of transformation. It starts with a childlike faith, led to seeking and finding Jesus. He's now a co-heir of the riches of, <clears throat> of God. And now Zacchaeus is no longer serving Rome. Zacchaeus is now serving Jesus. There's a new boss in town. There's a new master in his life. And I got to thinking <clears throat> about this story. I'm about done here. Is, you know, you, when, a day, when a day begins, sometimes in our lives, we don't always know how it's going to turn out, right? You ever had one of those days? When you woke up in the morning, it was just a normal day, and by the end of the day, you thought to yourself, in a, in a, a million years, I, I would have never seen something like this happen. It could be good, or it could be, you know, very, very, very tragic. Think about Zacchaeus. When the day began for him, he was a lost sinner, the most hated man in town, right? Nobody wanted to be around him. But when the day ended, he was a true son of Abraham. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, some of you, your day began this morning by saying, you know what, I haven't been to church in a minute or I haven't been to church ever, and so I'm going to, you know, Google a church and here I, 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 I'm here to visit or, or, or whatever, and, you know, I'm going to go hear some music, hear a sermon, and then I'm going to go to Chili's and go home, and I won't watch preseason football because it's boring. I'll just wait till it comes back on. But you're not, you're not changed. There's no, there's, no, there's no transformation here. You see, a, a true follower of Jesus, I, I want to invite you to, for your day to change. I want to invite you to put your faith in Jesus by accepting him. I, wa I want to invite you to hear those words that Zacchaeus heard. Today, salvation has come to your house. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.